I use tabs as like functioning memory to do things. That's what I do. Hello, welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we hoof it through herds of cow mix history, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the comic cudster, Mike Thompson. We really need to start a video podcast so that you can see how hard my eyes were rolling. They're like out of their sockets and (laughs) across the hall at this point. (laughs) The purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. If you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it'd be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods, because that really helps with discoverability. Friendly reminder, we've pulled our content off of Spotify, given how the platform is continuing to actively promote voices spreading vaccine disinformation. Today, we are absolutely pleased to be joined by our very special guest, Art, from the podcast Alphabet Flight, a Marvel encyclopedic adventure. Howdy. Would you please introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast? Yes. What I do is I go through the official handbook, the Marvel Universe, alphabetically, and I talk about the characters, uh, character by character. Most of the time, it's real helpful of expanding your knowledge of the general Marvel Universe, because I had a pretty good grasp in the first part before, and now I can pull some real obscure stuff and well, actually, people like in the most annoying ways now. I have over 100 episodes, too. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you up to now? Oh, uh, as of when this comes out, I just started the late aughts version, mm-hmm. which, by the way, are the superior version by a lot. But uh, I'm around. I'm going to be talking about angels soon. Not angel and not that angel, but angels. OK, yeah, I just listened to your Ahab episode. Oh, yeah, that just came out. It's uh, OK. Here's the thing. I try to be a positive person, but I can't fake excitement and ahab was one of those that i was just nah i don't yeah, care no it was you. good it was fun <laughs> yeah no but yeah but no i really but i really enjoy doing it it's it's nice to be able to pull on like real obscure stuff just because i've been actively reading a lot more comics because i'm just like hmm. huh it made Very me kind of cool. want to read marvel uk oh i love marvel uk i don't want to buy the comics i just want to read them digitally on marvel unlimited and you can't, we can't get them yet so the original Death's Head series, I think, is out on Marvel Unlimited. That's the only one. But yeah, we love obscure comics and comics trivia on this show, so it seemed like a no-brainer to have you on. So thank you for coming. I'm glad, yeah, to, I'm so glad to be on. So our special guest actually suggested the topic for today, and I couldn't be any more jazzed for this. Today we'll be discussing a 90s throwback that was utterly silly. The Wild West cowboys and that c-o-w cowboys of moo mesa and we're going to look at all of the aspects of this property from the tv show to the arcade game and the two three issue comic series that went along with it we'll also talk about merchandising and other places you might be able to find these bodacious bovines but 
let's put that idea out to pasture for now as we talk about what we've all been reading or watching lately. (laughs) We're just going to have these puns throughout the episode, aren't we? I started off really strong and then it just started getting super repetitive. So don't worry, it does drop off after a while. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I feel like you should just say the entire thing, which is Wild West, Code of the West, Boys of Mumesa. Yes, it's true. I'm, <laughs> yes, it's a whole ass deal. They are cows, they are boys, but they also follow the Code of the West, which we will absolutely talk about a little bit later. Oh my god. Well, let's move on to one thing that we are reading or watching lately. Art, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so something that I'm reading currently, and I'm still up in the air if I enjoy it or not, is I'm going through the Earth X, Universe X, and Paradise X. I'm just going through that right now. I don't know. Shrug? <laughs> yeah. So for those who can't watch the video, like <laughs> you just gave this giant shrug, and that was very much my reaction. I was yeah, like, eh. I, like, to put it like shortly, I don't necessarily agree with some of the choices they made like it's coherent and it's not bad it's just like some of the swings that they make are just real big swings and i think they just whiff it half the time they were trying to be like weirdly satirical after the success of kingdom comes they wanted to do a kingdom to come but they want to do a marvel satire on top of that and there's a lot that just doesn't stick the landing yeah, yeah, there's because the whole thing, like, is at least I'm in Universe X right now, which it did have a really good bird in it because baby Marvel was just like, but I thought I knew everything because my cosmic awareness. And like Merlin from Underworld was just like, if you knew everything, you'd be able to cure your cancer. Um, <laughs> it's just like, wow. Oh, and I was just like, ooh, that's great because that is the most interesting thing he's done, Marvel. Die of cancer. I, I know I'll upset some people with that, but Genesville is like so much better. But yeah, it's it just I don't know if I recommend it to people. I'm reading through mostly because I have time at work to read comics, so I'm just gonna take that. I'm gonna as well get paid for it. And Fair. second, it's just I don't know, it just takes a lot of big swings and some of it works. A lot of it doesn't. But, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Somewhat apropos of this episode, I just picked up the first issue of Jurassic League, which is written by Juan Gideon and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson. And it's basically, what if the Justice League were anthropomorphic dinosaurs? So (laughs) Superman is super sore. Batman is like this T-Rex known as the Batwalker. And Wonder Woman is Wonder Dawn. She's like a Triceratops. And it's way better than it has any right to be. It's well-written, and I love the art, and it's got some really solid dinosaur puns thrown in. And so I'm just, I'm digging it. It feels very silly, but also like this very pure distillation of DC Comics mythology. And it's just really solid. So if you're looking for something that's a light, breezy read, but also really good, check it out. What about you, Jessica? What are you reading? I... I picked up that blind box from Brian's Comics a a while back, and so I've been Mm -hmm. leafing through those every once in a while, and I picked up the first issue of Dead Day, which was in that Was that the Aftershock series? Yes, it was. It's an adaptation of uh, of, a book by Ryan Parrott, and 
yeah, it's got art by, oh, I'm going to say this wrong. Hold on. I didn't try to, I didn't practice this before. I just started saying it. Ivinyu Bornyakov. And it's a graphic novel about a day when the dead come back, but like the actual dead and they like come up from their coffins and they're actually sentient. It's not a zombie story, which is interesting, but not everybody wants to talk to their dead loved ones necessarily. Yeah, I think I got the first issue of that and it was an interesting premise and then I just never went back to it. I'd like to read the graphic novel, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I only have the first issue as well, but it really piqued my interest. And so I'm going to be searching out the rest of it so I can see what's going on. And it's interesting. They put a little guide on how to how to deal with the dead coming back. Basically, it was like a public service announcement since they'd had dead day for four years. Mm -hmm. And I don't we don't know what caused it after the first issue. We don't really know. It hasn't happened yet. It's just everybody's preparing for it. So it's really interesting. That sound that does sound interesting. I've been stuck like just trying to fill in like gaps in my Marvel knowledge. I'm just I've been leaving everything else behind. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think this sometimes. was a series that Brian actually recommended when it came out, and so I picked it up. You know, he always has nice. really solid recommendations. He's so good. What do you all say that we move along to our main topic? You're fired. Get out. <laughs> you can't fire me. <laughs> Actually, you probably could. I don't know. How does this work? We're co-hosts. I don't know. <laughs> so, as promised, during this episode, we'll be galloping into a story that is one part mutant animal, one part high western drama, and a whole lot of bovine-inspired one-liners, kind of like this place. <laughs> Let's start off with some resources. I used the wiki article about this property, the Turtlepedia fandom page on the Moomesa crossover, spoilers, Moomesa fandom wiki, which has a ton of info, Konami wiki, YouTube.com videos of TMNT copycats, Dak Prescott, and a Beans Cannon. That's the title, by the way. Uh, the story of the Cowboys of Moomesa by Toy Galaxy. Cowboys of Mumesa Action Figures 1992-93 Cartoon by Taylor Grayson. The full title of the property is The Wild West C-O-W Boys of Mumesa, which from henceforth I will be reducing to Mumesa because I just cannot with that title every time. But just know <laughs> it's implied every time. So anyway, Moo Mesa started off as a television show and was the brainchild of Ryan Brown, who is a comic book artist and had worked on the TMNT franchise. That's Teen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for those of you tuned in and maybe not in the know about the acronym. And after the success of those tubular turtles, it should be no surprise that everyone wanted a piece of that mutant animal action. And thus, Moo Mesa sprang forth into existence, along with a lot of other properties that were very similar in the anthropomorphized realm of the world. And it also entered onto the scene as one of the famed Saturday morning cartoons. Now, we've talked about Saturday morning cartoons on the show before, but Mike, do you want to give us a quick rundown of the vibe of that time on these programs? Yeah. So Saturday morning cartoons is this colloquial catch-all term now for any animated show that was like directly marketing toys to kids. 
So this was right on the <clears throat> tail end of the era that was the golden age of capitalism merging with children's programming. Saturday morning cartoons really were half-hour toy commercials in the 80s, and they became that way thanks to Ronald Reagan and the FCC loosening up broadcast rules about what kind of content could be aired for kids. And as a result, we saw shows like G.I. Joe, Transformers, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles really dominating the airwaves. And comic books were a big part of all of these brands' cross-media synergy. And it was really successful. Like, everybody wanted to get in on this. Like, even Chuck Norris tried to do this, which we talked about in episode 27, with his karate commandos. Spoiler, it's garbage. <laughs> Total trash. But these shows were designed to sell action figures to kids. Like, almost every episode would debut with a new character or a vehicle that would then be on sale at your local toy store. And basically, the 80s were, like, the runaway success period for this. And then by the early 90s, things started to change. The Children's Television Act passed in 1991, which required kids programming to be more oriented towards emotional and intellectual development. And when this cartoon started to air, I think it would have been hobbled in terms of how commercialized it could be because it aired after the Children's Television Act passed. And actually, NBC had just abandoned their Saturday morning cartoon programming in 1992. So Mu Mesa was basically launching in the middle of this, what would eventually be a pretty notable decline for the genre of animation, which probably explains why it wasn't on the air too long. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So Mu Mesa did initially air September 12th, 1992, and lasted until its final episode, which aired on December 4th, 1993. In total, Mu Mesa lasted a full two seasons of 13 episodes each. The show also later re-aired on Toon Disney from 1999 to 2001. And it was produced by Greengrass Productions in association with King World Productions. Its first season was animated by Gunther Wall Productions and Ruby Spears Enterprises for the second. And there is a very noticeable difference in the animation quality between the two, which I'm sure we'll touch upon during our opinions portion later on. Now, the main premise of Moo Mesa is somewhat vague. <laughs> I'll leave some room for discussion. <laughs> but the main premise of Moo Mesa is that a Calmet came down to the earth in the 19th century American West. And upon impact, a mesa was formed that shot into the clouds. And upon that mesa, the inhabitants transformed mostly from animals into anthropomorphized hybrid mutant things. Mutants? Yeah. <laughs> TPT. They became ovipomorphic animals <laughs> who were for the most part bovine in nature with mostly human bodies and a taste for the vibes of the wild west so as their society grew it did so in a way of the west because they were in fact in the west but with a twist because their knowledge of the western society in general was limited they had their own takes on town life architecture and wild west customs and the idea is that they only knew Western culture up to a point and the rest they just made up. Yeah. They just filled in the blanks themselves and went, maybe it works like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah those, those guns are fun too. 
because it's fun seeing the new villain, seeing what are they going to use. Yeah, it's a definite Mad Libs take on how the Wild West life existed. And each character has their own gun. For example, one of them shoots stars. There's a villain that shoots spider webs because he's a a spider. It's it's great. (laughs) There's a miner, a guy who stole from miners that shot little shovels. That was my favorite one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The main characters were Marshall Moo Montana, the leader of the Good Guys gang and voiced by Pat Fraley. Deputy Dakota Dude, tough guy and bull of few words. He's the muscle of the team and voiced by Jim Cummings. And the Colorado Kid, who's basically the trainee of the group and is voiced by Jeff Bennett. Their main foes in town were Mayor Oscar Baloney, voiced by Michael Greer, and Sheriff Terror Bull, voiced by Joe Piscopo. Along with a masked figure very appropriately named the Masked Bull. Side note, he probably stays so healthy during cold and flu season, just saying. <laughs> Other notable villains include Saddlesore Scorpion, which is exactly what he sounds like, but also wearing a cowboy hat, and Boot Hill Buzzard, who also looks just like you might think, but make it Western. So supporting townsfolk include, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. There's a fuck ton of them. But notably, we have Lily Bovine, saloon owner and Moo's love interest. Cow Lamity Kate. You can see how we don't go very far with this. Cow Lamity Kate Cudster, (laughs) who is a tough as nails gold miner and Dakota's love interest. Cody Calf, who is a young orphan? Runaway? Unknown. Regardless of the situation, it's made clear that he lives in Lily's saloon in her house. I'm not sure, but he's not her son. He's not her son. He's the orphan That's who lives in the sure. house. I have a theory about Ooh. who his father is. I'm fascinated. What's your theory? Okay, so you know how there's three kids in this entire show? Of basically. Yes. Okay. So I think we know the parents of one of them. I think Moo Montana, before he was a marshal, was actually the the father of Cody Calf because he is so on top of making sure he is like the best cow man he could be. And I just I feel like it's this like weird guilt because like he's so honorable in so many ways. But like the one time he something slipped, he's gonna make sure that that kid's gonna be the best that they can be. I wonder if it's like some tragic love story where like maybe the love interest like died and he yeah. didn't want to like out her as like having this child out of wedlock or something like Western crazy like that. Cause we know it can't be Lily because Moo can barely talk to her. Just so because it's, it could, I, I don't know. She's uh, maybe, pretty, I don't know. Doth, doth the lady protest too much is maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just picking up like a, a secret son vibe. He's some, he's somebody's kid is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's literally three kids in this entire town and we meet dozens of characters all named and have some sort of background. Yeah, no, these kids get no background. You are correct. So more of the town folk include Buffalo Bull, who is a blacksmith and will come up in the comics and arcade game, but ultimately doesn't have a huge presence in the animated series. JR, who is a native buffalo. Yes, they really did portray Native American folks as other species. So that's something fun and something I immediately hate. 
And the last name I'll give you is Puma, who is the town shoeshiner. And if you think this character sounded familiar, he was voiced by Bill Farmer, who did the voice for Goofy for the last chunk of the Goofy life. I don't know what you call that, his life. I do have one thing that I kept on thinking about JR, because JR, I think what they're trying to do was subvert the expectations of having Native American characters and everything. And he's like the technologist. Like he's one of the smartest people in town. And all I was thinking was like Forge. I was just thinking Forge the entire time. So if someone wants to do that, that art, that'd be great. Just a JR (laughs) Forge combo. Pretty cool. So furthering the perceived spirit of old westerns they lived by the acronym mentioned in the title c-o-w the code of the west now art do you want to give us a quick description of the code of the west i want to say it seems mostly made up well most rules are but it seems like mostly made up by moo and the other marshals but it's basically just a set of codes that tells them how to live their life their bushido confucius edicts or whatever They're basically like variations of common phrases, but they either make it more cowboy related or cow related somehow. Right. They do at one point physically pull out a book, which I thought was hilarious. And it said Code of the West on it. Yeah. Their version of the bro code. Right. Exactly. And then another character at one point was like, I think you're making that Code of the West stuff up. Yeah. I think the book was just a journal, like just was like literally just uh, Cody Calf writing it down. Because every time they talk oh. to Cody Calf, they always say, "Remember, Code of the West." I'm sorry, I just I can't stand those little kids sidekicks that they always put in these shows. Like in the Chuck Norris Karate Commandos, there was too much. Who? <laughs> oh. This wasn't as yeah. bad, but I'm just like, I don't care. He was useful once. He was useful know, I just, once. I like I it's all blurred <laughs> at this point because I, I binged a bunch of it on YouTube and the only I, one I, I remember now is the episode where they got lost in a mine, like him and two other kids. Oh right. he apparently he was the creator of the cup on the string, which is weird because you think they would have thought of that before the steam engines, which they apparently have down pat now. Yeah. Hmm. If steam engine like <laughs> metal horses, There's, they've the got things happening. Horse. All right, thank you. Let's talk about the TV series a little bit more. What is your memory or experience with this property? Art, why don't you go first? Yeah, so um, I apparently the reason why everyone thought I was lying about this is because it was literally only on the air for four years of its entire existence. But I was watching it in reruns. It was after Care Bears and Hello Kitty in the morning. Because I was a freak and woke up at 5 in the morning and watched cartoons every day. So I'd watch it close to every day for a while until I guess it stopped airing. And I don't know. Like, the guns were cool. It, there's something cool about a, a gun that just shoots little deputy stars and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, it, it was fun. It's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Mike, what about you? 
like not I don't have much experience with this, to be honest. I think I babysat a couple of kids in my neighborhood who watched a few episodes on Saturday mornings when I was there. But I don't know. I've always been aware of the show, but I was just a little bit too old to really know it. Like I you're younger than me. I'm curious. Were you aware of it more? So I I didn't think I knew this. And then I started watching it and I was like, holy shit, I've seen this before. <laughs> and then I live on the same property as my brother. And so I brought him my phone and I was like, hey, watch this intro. And I played it for him. And he was like, holy shit, I've seen this before. <laughs> so I feel like we caught it like probably just a few times on Saturday morning cartoons when we had it on. But I it wasn't a huge recollection but as i was watching and i i got flashes of remembering more of it so i probably watched a few episodes it does follow in the tradition of having the early to mid 90s like really good theme song that's like an actual theme song and not like a sting before they go yeah yeah i liked the theme song actually and it's interesting because that's the intro to the whole setting but they don't ever give us a pilot episode that like gives us that initial setup So we just, that's how we learn about the whole comet and the mutants and everything. They, and it's, they pepper it in. There are a few episodes where somebody will be like, give a little bit more information or say something about the Kelmet. And I'm just like, oh, you're giving us more backstory. I definitely need this, but I like halfway wasn't paying attention because this is such like a, like quippy little bullshit show. So it's, it was interesting where they put it in because it wasn't where I would have expected it. As I was watching it, yeah. um, I think they spent all their time on world building because they do a really good job at world building. This is a very cohesive cartoon. Like you, you get an idea of their culture, how they do things, and all of that stuff, like their beliefs and whatnot. But I don't know. Like the stories are just meh for the most part. Yeah, I feel like they because they weren't able to really market it. They didn't quite know what they were going for with this show and so they were actually trying to deliver stories that weren't just selling action figures which i appreciated yeah so what was your overall impression of the animated series mike why don't we start with you i'm I'm mixed it's interesting but it really feels like it was hobbled by both its budget and the era that it was airing in because it doesn't feel like it's quite the toy commercial that a lot of the 80s cartoons were. On the flip side, most cartoons from the 80s have just absolutely incredible intros that are like movie quality animation. But Moo Mesa's animation feels pretty basic all the way through, though I think they got either a bigger budget or the Shifter Ruby Spears was just better, maybe. I don't know. I like that the show wasn't a constant barrage of toy commercials but the flip side is that sometimes it feels slow and meandering but i will say i did enjoy the overall setting and i wish that they'd been able to lean more into the weird west vibe since that's a genre that i actually really enjoy and it's very underutilized in fiction in general totally yeah what about you art oh i i agree i agree with you i agree with you weird west is like one of my favorite Honestly, if you can just do, like, Western plus something, I'm probably going to like it. Like, how Bone Tomahawk is, like, one of my favorite movies is because, like, they actually did a horror in the West. It's a good horror movie, though. And also, I have a short story collection 
of H.P. Lovecraft-inspired stories. One of them is set in the Wild West, and the Yellow King has taken over a town, and someone mm. with arcane eldritch knowledge needs to take them down. It's real good. That sounds nice. great. Yeah, but my overall feeling of the whole series that I watched, which I also did binge, I finished the last episode about two hours before <laughs> recording. I think the storytelling is not that bad. That's the thing. Like, it, I think I agree with you. It was just, I feel like if it was released a few years later, it could have been something completely different. The storytelling's pretty good. It just feels like they do all the storytelling and then they have five minutes to wrap it up at the mm -hmm. end. Yeah. But they do a lot of world building. They do a lot of like actual good character moments for everyone. Besides the cow puns and everything, like all the characters are pretty realized and everything. Oh, and me on the other hand, I'm like here for the cow puns. <laughs> I thought <laughs> well, I, I was a hundred percent here for it. That was my take. I was well, like, yes, give me every bad cow pun you have. <laughs> so I, I watched on two times speed on YouTube, but that was still four hours of stuff and you get tired of the cow puns after four hours of hearing them over and over again but i was a little upset when i heard that that it was colorado kid and not colorado kid you made the same mistake that i did with game of thrones which was that you basically binged it all at once and then you're just like i'm done with this yeah yeah um, i've been chopping it up into different segments so maybe my enjoyability is a little bit higher than yours in general, like I enjoy it. I wish that it came out in an era where cartoons were allowed to be a little bit more. I don't. What's the right word? Non. I don't know. I'm th what I'm thinking of is like the 2003 uh, TMT cartoon, where it was allowed to be like explore its world and stuff like that. It didn't have to have sure. an action scene at the end or anything. It could just explore a character, and that was it. Right. That's what I, I wish it came out a little bit later, basically. Because I feel like this has a basis of a pretty good story, pretty good stories and a world and everything. It just didn't, it just came out at a time where, like, right after you had to do nothing but sell toys, and right before kids' media respected kids, it was like in that transition period. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoyed the show. It was campy and it was, it was silly, but. I, I had a good time with it, and it was I, I think it was better breaking it up into chunks just because it was a lot after a while, just because all of the stories blended into each other, and you know, yeah, they one hundred percent do, <laughs> yeah, and it's there are so many different villains that come in that it's even hard to keep track of all of the villains. Like I was going through the list of villains, and I was like, this is far too many people for me to list off total. There are just dozens of them. It's dozens, probably not dozens, but there are just like, no, it's of dozens. Them. I mean, it's are, wild. It's dozens. Yeah. See, yeah. there are a lot of them. It felt like a lot. So <laughs> yeah, it was still fun. It was somewhat baffling at times. <laughs> it was vague at times, but I think most kids cartoons kind of air in that direction anyway, and leave some of this weird stuff up to the imagination where the kids can fill in the blanks. That's what I think about. Mm -hmm. Did either of you have a favorite character and why? Art. Okay. If I'm going with my favorite consistent character, it would probably be Dakota, dude. I like 
him a lot. I have a feeling it was one of those things where I'm just like, do I like dudes moments when I was a kid? Because I don't know something about the voice. Jim Cummings does a really good gruff guy voice and everything. And I always like the the sensitive but strong dude characters and whatnot. If I'm going with joke, well, not joke, but like my favorite one-off character, it'd probably be the fat snake out of the, the what was it? The tunnel gang or something like that. Oh, yeah, I like that episode a lot, but there's a fat snake, and I really like him a lot, because he's just a big fat yeah. snake. <laughs> I like how everybody keeps asking, because there's two snakes, and there's a fat ska- snake and like a skinny snake, and everybody keeps asking why they call themselves a gang, and then there's only two of them. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> Well, it's because a lot of them are behind bars, obviously. I, I know. I like how you're defending them the same way. <laughs> what are you, a part of this? <laughs> But the Fat Snake was my favorite. I forget what its name was, but my favorite character. Definitely Fat Snake. (laughs) Mike, do you have a favorite character? I do. It's not one of the heroes, though. Like, I... I, I thought the, the character designs were kind of all over the place. I really got to say I wasn't wild about the character designs for either the female characters or the kids. They just look weird because they, they tried to reduce the muzzles on both of those. And then they would add that weird shaded circle around their mouths. And it just. Yes. It was very strange. That said, I really dug Bat Blastagun. He's a vampire bat that leads a gang of outlaws. And A, I thought his character oh. design was just rad as fuck and then also his his various fang puns were chef's kiss no that is a really good villain i do really like that villain a lot the villain does the villains in general are good really exactly yeah i do like that he's so transparent about how he's not gonna cut anyone else into the money he's like then the money's all mine (laughs) he's like working with all these other people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Like, Thank you're just going to cut much. and, like, exactly. It's just going to cut and fly off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like, I really enjoyed a lot of the villains. And then I was looking it up. Bat Blastagun shows up in the comics later on with the Ninja Turtle crossovers and stuff they did back in whenever they did those. Oh, yeah. see, I didn't know they showed up. I knew they will talk about their crossovers, but yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that he showed up. That's fun because I didn't actually get to check into those ones. All right, so I'm curious, Jess, what was your favorite character? So I really liked one of the side characters, one of the antagonists as well. And it was the one who was the beef. Do you guys remember? (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love it. It was from one of the first few episodes. And he was freaking funny. So his name was actually Barney Finkelberg in the end. That was what he actually was named. But he was going by the alias of Jacques Labeef. And I was like <laughs> trying to figure out why I liked his voice so much. That's motherfucking Tim Curry, you guys. Yeah, no, it's oh, very good. No, this was the it's era Tim where Curry. Tim Curry would be on like every cartoon in this era. Yes. And I was, it was like, like why him is and this Tony so J. fucking funny to me? Right? Yes. Yes. So that was just, yeah. I was like, why is this so fucking funny to me? But that was why, because I was just getting those mad Tim Curry vibes. So Tim Curry, listen up. If you ever want to be on the show, you're more than welcome. <laughs> we know you do little bits. We are a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So what do you guys think about that twist with the masked bull obvious 
<laughs> I don't know. Same voice. I mean, I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it weirdly. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. it wasn't shocking or anything, but I thought it was a nice little yeah. fun well, element. Yeah, I do the I also I do like the idea of the corrupt sheriff of a town is also just the villain that they used to prop himself up. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Also they also his goons are the same. They don't mask up so you could tell who is I know. Who. And what's funny, too, the corruption is so funny to me because the mayor is so obviously corrupt in everything he does. Like, his motivations are so obvious and everyone's still, yeah, he's mayor. Like, what do you guys not vote him in? Did he just, like, step in one day and you guys were like, It's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't, like, originally I was like, no, this is too far. And then I'm like, I don't know, people keep voting for Ted Cruz, so. No, you're totally right. I do like how he's basically steepling his, I think he actually steeples his fingers. (laughs) <laughs> like that him just schemingly laughing is like half of his dialogue but i do like it i think there was a thing there in the again world building this is actually good for world building lily apparently threatened to run for mayor so maybe no one else cares enough and they know that they have moo and dakota and colorado kid to just take care of whatever right. so like maybe right. he doesn't actually have any power they just want to keep the evil person up front. Right. Fair enough. There was yeah. a secondary twist to that as well, where in one of the episodes, the masked bull actually had a twin brother. Do you guys remember that? He was in jail, though, right? Yeah, now he's in jail. He was in jail for most of it. He was just in this one single singular episode that I recall. Yeah, it was another pun on bull. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, It was horrible. He always called. Terrible and horrible. Yeah, but he would always call, he was always called Moo, uh, like a certain insult. So whenever Moo unmasked him, be like, I knew it was you. How'd you do that? Because you're the only person who calls me this. Like the only person. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. What was your guys' favorite replacement firearm? All right, this is like super basic, but I actually really liked Moo's guns that shoot the sheriff stars. It feels really, I think it felt pretty clever. I liked the way that his gun barrels looked too. They looked kind of sci-fi. And I thought it was just a very cool concept of my gun shoots justice. (laughs) I already mentioned this one, but there was a, there was a minor because they had a, a gold rush. It was like one of the last episodes, but there was like a gold rush. And one of the people stealing all the gold from people shot a gun that shot out little shovels. And it's just, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so good. I, I still really like that spider, which I don't know why the insects also got so big, but, and oh, like the arachnids why not? got so big. It bothers me that it's so, because there's also cows. There's cows. Well, Okay, we need to take a step back before I I'm going to answer this question. We're going to sidebar this for a second. I really liked the spider that shot spider webs just because I thought it was so basic and it made this very satisfying like splat sound every time it hit something that I just was so I was so charmed. I just it was a chuckle every time he shot that stupid little gun. So. So let's talk a little bit about the vague world building now. They don't give us a lot of information on the show, and they give us even less in the comics, and they give us absolutely none in what I will talk about later, the arcade game. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. 
we get what we get through snippets of the TV show, and then we get what the theme song is, which talks again vaguely about this comet and the Mesa flying into the sky, into the clouds, and that's about all we know from the theme song. (laughs) There is a little bit in one of the comics where they do talk where it feels like JR is just explaining stuff. Well, that's true. No, you're yeah, right. There's a you're little right. bit. Yeah. And that, that definitely solidifies some things, but yeah, a lot of the world building is through snippets and it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like exposition. It's not, this is how the world is. They just, it's, they're talking it just, like people were talking. Yeah. It comes up pretty naturally. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice, but I wish we got more of it and I wish we got it in a more consistent fashion. Like, Mike, I think you said earlier, like, we didn't have a pilot episode. There wasn't anything to explain, like, what actually happened. We're really truly just dropped into this kind of like silly life experience of these good guys, white hat Western characters. That is what this cartoon was. It was a slice of life story compared to what we got in the decade previous it's really interesting to think about that yeah no it is very slice of life which is why i think i was so obsessed with it for so long because this cartoon should have just rolled off my back basically like water off a duck's back and i should have just forgotten about it but there's something about how they naturalistically talk about the world which makes like the part that like comics scratch in my brain go into overdrive because you could actually talk about a lot of things about this world just by watching the cartoon and it's just there they don't have that like weird awkward episode that some cartoons have where be like this is the origin where they just like they just have to have an expedition dump of why the world's like this it's just very slice of life because some of the episodes i think are just slice of life one it's just the they just were waiting for mail. Yeah, that was no, a huge she was, thing. Yeah, she was literally late waiting for a package. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's weird to have that for, which I guess this would have been marketed as like an action, like a cowboy action thing. But it's way more slice of life. Like, they don't really even do a lot of violence. There's a lot of putting baskets and bells over people. And there's okay. that, that one episode with the male where it's the big climax is that she has to get married to someone in order to save her property. But I don't even think that was the one. She just had a dress for that one. That one was that she, like, the twist was that it was a dress in the package. Mm. It didn't even have to do with her wedding that episode, I don't think. I can't remember. It was just like, everybody was like, together. wait a second. No, totally. A hundred percent. I was bouncing I between like episodes, a- too. Oh, yeah, no, this, uh, yeah, my playlist didn't play them in order, which you didn't really need them to be in order, to be honest. There wasn't much continuity between the episodes. But what I didn't like about that is that Calderado kept saying, oh, I wonder what's in the package. I hope it's a this. I hope it's a that. I could really use this. And I was like, the entitlement of your ass right now of what like she's (laughs) waiting for a package that she bought that she purchased and you're like wow the second she gets it it's going to be something i own now and i'm just like what are you talking about you're in no way connected to this person she's just a homie you hang out with every once in a while and you're just like can't wait to get my mitts on whatever's in that box (laughs) what well I will say, if there was a character that I didn't really like that much, it would be Colorado Kid, just because he right. pretty... How do I put this, like, lightly? He exudes, like, straight white dude energy. 
And I'm, I'm saying that in like Dude, capital yeah. letters. Because <laughs> like everyone else, like even the villains and stuff, they're very likable. But Colorado was like the entire time, like he'd be borderline creep to women, always was whining yeah. that he wasn't like the most important in the room, always wanted to do things that other people said, hey, don't do this. This is the reason why. He'd be like, I want to do it anyway. And he, like, didn't know basic stuff. They were always having to teach him basic things about being, like, existing. I was like, this is a dude whose mom definitely still does his laundry because he doesn't know how. Yeah. He was billed as a deputy in training, too. And it was like, there's a lot of stuff about this dude that is in training. Wait, wait, wait. Does ACAP, <laughs> does a C in ACAP say for, for, for Lockhouse? It may. Yeah, but yeah, they all are. All cows are bastards. <laughs> yep, all cows are bastards. Every single one of them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it just I didn't like him. I just didn't like him more and more as I was watching it. Just because, like, at first I was just like, oh, they're just dunking on this guy for no reason. Be like, no, you should be dunking on him. He's actively holding you back. Totally. So there is some conflict as to the origin of what happened to make these animals be the way that the fucking strange existence that they are of being this anthropomorphized like mostly cow creatures that are somewhat human so the whole idea is that when this mesa got shot up into the clouds or at least one of the ideas because again they're very vague is that when it got shot into the clouds the thing coming from space was a cowmet <laughs> everyone not a comet a cowmet and when it hit the Earth, everyone that was a human turned into a humanoid cow, but all of the cows and everything stayed cow, which doesn't always make sense. Or it's saying that not everyone got hit. I don't know. Again, it's very vague. But that's one of the ideas is that because like the humans just mutated into other things. And the other theory is that they mutated to things that they were close to. So, so that might those? explain some of the cows. Maybe a cowboy was riding a horse and turned into a horse person or something like that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. There are a few different ideas as to how the genetics of this might actually work. But uh, again, very I just don't part, care. Part of me. <laughs> okay. You're obviously not in it like I am because I just need to know every detail. <laughs> But no, I, I, it's the, I would buy it a little bit if it was just like, hey, all the mammals and stuff who were close to other mammals mutated or something. But like we have scorpions and like spiders. I don't think we saw any fish. But no, but we have a like wide range of people. We even have a magic skeleton cow that can like age people. I don't know where magic comes from on this world. I'm not entirely know. sure. Was the comet? <laughs> was the comet like a magical comet? Maybe I don't know. Maybe the magic comes from before the comets. Maybe he was already comes from a line of magic people, and then he turned into magic cow people, and then when he died, he turned into magic skeleton cow people. I don't know. See, well, it's anybody's guess. <laughs> there's also a skeleton cat and a skeleton. Was it a bat as well? Skeleton bat. It was that one episode that felt like a Halloween episode. Right. But but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if they were to like do like a Thundercatch reboot or something where they draw everything slightly hotter and take it seriously, I feel like this would be like a prime candidate for one. As I mentioned before, the animation studio switched after the first season from Gunther Wall to Ruby Spears, 
What did you think about the change? And did the changes feel notable to you? It did feel notable. I, it, this is probably just a reference to me or anything, but the first season looked like what I remember reading Disney comics look like, basically. Like it very like four four color, simple. Kind of flat. Kind of flat, yeah. And that was fine for the most part. And I did definitely notice when it switched in the second season because of their eyes. They, it was the eyes. That was the most noticeable for me. Because they're a lot more expressive. Also, the second season they gave Dakota Dude a lot more to say, which was like, I feel like he should be the hero of more episodes, but I don't know. They, they did something with the line weight and the eyes were a little bit more expressive. By the time I was a couple episodes in, though, I just was just like, eh, okay. I will say some of the rodent characters and stuff, because their eyes weren't large and expressive, it did give me on Kenny Valley sometimes. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's funny because, Jessica, when I was watching this, I messaged you and I was like, I feel like they got a bigger budget or something because the animation seems better in the second season which is mm -hmm. wild since ruby spears was not exactly known for great work like they were basically competition for hannah barbera and were just really known for cranking out mediocre animation which case in point that was the studio who did karate commandos for chuck norris and good lord right and there was a lot of weird little bits in those like five episodes we watched like how they handled gravity in space like very haphazardly sometimes it would be like actual zero g and other times it would just be like no they're just in a space station and they have gravity and then right, and then so they also weird. depicted mount fuji as being part of this like himalayan-esque mountain range <laughs> but like i gotta say i noticed that some of the shots actually looked like they were trying to be like artistic like with angles and focus and depth of field and things like that in the second season and yeah. I thought it was better. I wouldn't say it was great, but what was your take on it? Because you haven't weighed in yeah. yet. I, yeah, I don't know. I like the simplicity of the first season. I think I didn't, I don't know if I, I got used to the way it was and then I was just like, oh, this is different now, or I don't know what my brain did, but I noticed it immediately because the opening theme was different and I was like, like the song wasn't, but the accompanying pictures were and I was like, oh. We've caught a new vibe, I see. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the second season's theme, at least the visuals, are, like, comparably worse. Uh, like, yeah. by a lot. I think that's what kind of struck me at first. So I didn't, I don't know. I did like the first season versus the second one. But I think, again, I, it may have just been because, like, I got so seated in how the first one was that once the second one came around and it was slightly different, I was like, this feels strange to me. Yeah. So this, obviously, this property is generally pretty weird. If you could pick out the strangest aspect of this show, what would it be? I know that's a big ask. <laughs> I would say, okay, magic exists. Magic just exists. And they don't talk about it at all. Because, I don't know, because I don't, I, I thought there was like a Scooby-Doo thing, like, going on at first with Skullduggery. I thought it was just like, I oh, so someone... Too. But no, he's actually magic. He's actually a reanimated cow. He's actually a skeleton. Yeah, I was, yeah. was shocked by that as well. Like, I was like, this has to be someone pranking them. Yeah, like, he literally, like, 
blew air on people and like made them older. Multiple people. And like they weren't traumatized by that. They literally knocked his head off of his body and it just floated back over. Like, how are you supposed to deal with that? Even if you get past the point that half of your friends are insects, when most of you are cows. Right. I don't know. The magic part. I th- you feel like there would be at least one more episode of it where they were just like trying to grasp what was going on. But Right. Mike, what about you? I gotta go back to like how it's a little bit surreal to me that this was in many ways a slice of life story in a much stranger setting yeah i think that's it is that it it was like ordinary wild west stories in this very fantastical setting like it just i can't get that out of my head i'm sorry what about you (laughs) um i i think it was strange to consider the different animal species dating each other and potentially procreating. (laughs) That was what was strange to me because we didn't have any weird like combination animals, which leads me to believe one of two things. Either this is a relatively new existence. This just happened, but it feels somewhat established. Like they've had to establish some of this stuff themselves and children exist. Like, where did these children come from? What are they? (laughs) What are they? (laughs) You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. All of that is baffling. What if you're a cow and you do get a crush on a scorpion? What is that? I just don't, I don't know. I'm like getting heated just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Also coming out around the same time in November of 1992 was the arcade game of the same name and branding, which was an up to four player side scrolling run and gun shooter game, which basically follows one or more of the three characters and or Buffalo Bull for some reason. Buffalo Bull is one of the characters you can play in the arcade game, and he's just like a one off ass character in the show. Yeah, I mean, that's very much part of the time. Like, at, this was the same era where we got, like, the Punisher video game, which was another run and gun, and it was a two-player game, but instead of... The thing is, because the Punisher doesn't really have a sidekick, so they give him Nick Fury, which is just... What? Okay. What? Okay. Or the Spider-Man game, it's, like, Spider-Man, Black Cat, Hawkeye, and namor i think it's characters where they were just like so they were just really trying to like throw in characters who have some association with the brand that people can play as together and we'll talk about this in a second but the way that the properties came out were so boom 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 that they absolutely were being worked on all separately yeah at the same time. And so there is a lot of inconsistency between the merchandising and between the comic mm-hmm. and between the show and the arcade game for that, I think, for that reason. Or that's the speculation as I was doing this research was that because they were all kind of being created at the same time, the general umbrella of overview was there. But everybody in their respective field took the creative liberties that you would with those characters. But you can't necessarily do that when you're trying to work on a cohesive property like that so it definitely lent itself to being a little bit more confuddled and confusing and not very consistent and the other thing is that you're developing a lot of the stuff way way ahead of time compared to when the property is actually launching so as a result you're working off of like earlier versions of scripts and media packages and things like that so if you read novelizations of movies 
you'll find like usually there are scenes that are in the book that aren't in the final cut and things like that. Totally. And especially at this era where they didn't have the internet, where you weren't able to sit there and update on the fly as quickly as possible where you can today. So the main goal of in within the video game, the main goal was to save Lily Bovine from the masked bull because the 90s <laughs> yeah, loved a good useless damsel. <laughs> And honestly, there really wasn't too much to this game. It featured standard levels with different boss fights until you, quote unquote, save Lily from the masked bull. The company that released the game is Konami, and they had previously made an arcade game in the same exact style called Sunset Riders. So imagine the same concept just with people like normal cowboys instead of cows, humans this time. And they did have a female character as well within their four players. I know, humans, what? That's so much more boring, right? Mumesa is somewhat actually considered to be a continuation of Sunset Riders when looking at like stylistically at the type of gameplay and actions and players and also general background. They were both very similar. Well, I mean, you know, and it makes sense because Konami was doing a lot of arcade beat-em-ups at the time. You had the Ninja Turtles one, I think. You also had The Simpsons and X-Men. That was a genre that they basically figured out a formula that was very popular. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Totally. So I wasn't really an arcade person when I was growing up. So I really didn't have any experience with like arcade games. So I definitely didn't have an experience with this one in particular. Did either of you have any experience with this game? Run across it at all? Remember seeing it? I might have. I grew up in San Francisco and my friends and I would go play in arcades all the time. And I remember playing Sunset Riders as a kid, but I might be mixing things up because I looked at the gameplay video for Moo Mesa and it feels almost identical other than like the character sprite art. And the game was never released on home consoles. Like I couldn't find any reference to it. No, it yeah. was just a standalone <laughs> like arcade game. Yeah. yeah. One of my friends who... He builds arcade cabinets and then puts like Raspberry Pis in them so he can play whatever. We definitely played this together on one of his customized ones because he grew up playing Sunset Riders and stuff. Because that would be, mm. I think that was the one that was in the Pizza Hut before when before when Pizza Hut actually had the uh, when they had actual restaurants. Yeah, when they, they were had like Sizzler, but Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah, but but he would actually play Sunset Rider in the same Pizza Hut that I would go to. But I never knew him until college. But for some reason, we lived a couple miles away from each other the entire time. But yeah, but we I definitely played this. And it was a game that was a beat-em-up. <laughs> yeah. Now, aside from the TV show and arcade game, there were, of course, some comics. And there were two series of three comics each. And they, I will tell you right now, they're, they are a little bit difficult to find online, but they follow the style and plot of the show to a certain extent, while also including characters and situations that are not included in the show and characters that don't get much airtime. Like Buffalo Bull is in a few more kind of comic situations than he really shows up in in the TV show, for example. I think Buffalo Bull was going to be originally a much bigger role in the TV show because he also got an action figure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was very strange to see. The comic was published through Archie Comics around the same time, coming out a few months after the animated series first aired, 
with the first issue being published in December of 1992, just a month after the arcade game was first dropped. So, of course, that went September for the animated series, November for the arcade game, and then December for the comics. So all of those things were being done at the same time. I mean, very clearly to have been dropped in such quick succession with each other. What did you think about the comic compared to the show? And did one hold your attention better than the other? I would say if this actually got a run, like instead of six issues or so, I think it would be one of those better, I don't know, mid-grade boom comic, like for kids based off of shows, like Slice of Lifey and everything. And they had an issue, they'd fix it. And you get a little bit more information about the world. One of the issues that I read actually had little sections about the world of Mumesa and whatnot. And they talked about how they knew about steam engines, but they didn't have everything because a lot of stuff was destroyed. So they basically had to reinvent the steam engine. And Buffalo Bull made like steam engine on steroids, basically. The Iron Horse, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because. The first miniseries, it feels like a very traditional adaptation of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But, but then weirdly, like in the middle of the first issue, they have this whole like one page. It's not even like a comic, but it's like an illustrated, very brief history on the mythology of cowboys and the marshals, which was. Yeah, it was really weird because it just pops up like right in the middle of the issue in the middle of the story. And it's got like traditional Western illustrations. And then. So the first series, it's like, you know, the cowboys in their town dealing with various villains, whatever. The second one, however, it's dinosaurs. <laughs> and, and there's a whole like hollow earth cave with families of dinosaurs and a T-Rex is broken out into the cowboys world and then it's chasing them down. And then Moo ends up like getting the Triceratops cub that escaped back to the cave and then the cave collapses, but Moo escapes on the back of a pterodactyl. It's very weird, and I was very here for it. Yeah. I feel like they had some ideas about what they wanted to do, but it, I don't know. It's very strange. I feel like if they were given the budget for a third season, they would have gotten into their butter zone, basically. Because, you know, they had enough world building, they had enough characters and stuff that they could have done the weird stuff without it feeling super out of place like weird for their show anyway and the comics felt what they wanted to do at least that's the second miniseries but like what they wanted to do and i would have been here for it it's weird it's actually kind of weird that they didn't get like a ongoing comic considering its origins of how it came to be and whatnot Mm. I'm not as surprised because the property died after the second volume. And then the other Mm -hmm. thing is that we were in the middle of the comic speculation boom that was going on. And kids comics weren't that big of a driver for that. It was all the super extreme with a capital X stuff from like image (laughs) and Valiant. And then you had the big crossover events around this time too from like DC and Marvel. Like you had the death of Superman breaking a Batman. You had... What was it? You had that arc where in the X-Men comics that ended with Magneto basically getting brain wiped and Wolverine losing his adamantium skeleton. Like it was very big events. And I think this is one of those cases where this is something that just got swallowed up as a result. Yeah. 
So I was a little bit more interested in the comics than the show just because it was a little bit more, it fit together a little bit better. I don't know. It felt a little bit more consistent. You could read an issue and it felt like you were reading a cohesive story versus I was going to say the... cohesive. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it just, the show felt a little bit more disjointed than maybe that was because I did watch like, I did chunk it up, but I watched a few episodes in a row. And since they were more slice of life and didn't have a consistent, like one to the next kind of show plot line, it did feel a little bit more like I was getting a fuller story when I was reading the comics. Yeah, so. and that's legit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this was the 90s. So, of course, there was bound to be a whole range of toys and other random miscellaneous merch. And, and oh boy, was there. They had the classic action figures. And honestly, they were pretty cool. Let's check out a commercial from back in the day advertising these bovine heroes. Okay. Komatamu Mesa, a new bench of this board. Heroes with boobs and hides and horns. Wild West Cowboys! Sheriff Carol Bull was whipping up a scheme as Cowboy's game was looking real mean. But Blue Montana's always ready for trouble, and he stopped that sheriff with his quick draw double. Wild West Cowboys! Colorado roped him as a matter of course. Geronimo rode the iron horse. With cannon blazing, he showed him who's best. The good guys win. That's, That's the cold West. Wild West Cowboys! Wild West Cowboys come with everything you see here. Figures an iron horse eats so <laughs> like the, the fuck like Jim geronimo the fuck is geronimo mm. like we we do not see geronimo very like if I, maybe we see him i don't fucking remember that bloke nah. i don't know why he's a bloke all of a sudden but he is honestly the animation in the commercial was better than the animation in the tv show <laughs> i agree with you <laughs> Their molds look like a lot like the uh, dinosaurs. They'd be like the Jack action hero looking dinosaurs. Like I had like, 15 of those figures. I don't know where they're from. But I don't know what they're from. Yeah, funny. they were Hasbro. So Hasbro was making a lot of the stuff back then. What's funny is that some of these action figures actually say 1991 on them. Oh, Which is weird. odd because that would actually predate. Yeah, I was watching somebody like showing off their action figures, and one of them said 1991, and I was like, "That's a trip" because it didn't come out until like late 1992. I wonder if they were using molds from an earlier model that they then just adapted. That's what I was wondering after you said that. That's why I brought it up. I was like, "Ooh, I wonder." Because the molds look really similar to both the Ninja Turtle stuff from Playmates and then right. Mattel's He-Man figures. Like, they've got that squat, very muscly build. Yeah, and they really only, the arms articulated at the shoulders slightly. Like, they could go up into a gun shooting position was what yeah. they could do. The waist articulated, and then the head articulated. It really wasn't fancy. Like, the legs didn't move. It really wasn't fancy. Well, and it's a very different model than the other two action figure lines that Hasbro had that have been huge successes, which were... G.I. Joe and Transformers. So you gotta wonder if they were just like, I don't know, just throw something together. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Let's see, people, let's see if we can ape that it. and try to hit success for cheap. In, in an alternate universe, this show has skyrocketed, still popular, more popular than TMT, and people are claiming for the, I don't know, what's the the lightning or the black box figure that oh Hasbro would make that's like super articulated and like detailed. 
Oh, the Hasbro Black series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Side, side shows making figurines of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Side note: I might fucking buy that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, all we need is one like good reboot, and we could get some like real good <laughs> action figures. Listeners, <laughs> make this happen. I'm giving our listeners a lot of credit. <laughs> so, aside from the action figures, there were, of course, other items you could purchase, mostly with Marshall Moose likeness, it seems, in the form of dish sets, washes, watches, clothing items, and even night lights. I, I think they really thought this was going to be way bigger than it was. Oh, they thought it was going to be huge. I would bet you that you could probably, like, same with the Ninja Turtles, I bet you could probably find beach towels. and They just had everything. Anything you could think of that you could slap a character onto, like, they were doing it at that point. So I would be shocked if you couldn't find most of the same things that you could find for those other big name properties at that point. Because I do think, I agree. If I had crazy millionaire money, I would become, like, the world's biggest collector of Cowboy and Mesa uh, stuff. Oh, my God. Just all of it. I do love the dedication. I am glad we had you on for this show, since you seem to be so <laughs> engrossed in the uh, the love of the moo. <laughs> I, am a, I am a cowboy, a Code of the West boy over here, so. Code <laughs> of the West boy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what? I didn't actually notice your horns when we first got yeah. on the call, but now I see them. <laughs> Additionally, with the re-airing of the show on Toon Disney in 1999, there was also a line of three-inch toys, action figures. There were also bowls, plates, and cups that were all made for a kid's meal promotion. I couldn't figure out who the promotion was for, but it was manufactured by the company Kid Stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Did either of you interact with or better yet actually own any of the toys from this property? Nah. I did not. What a goddamn shame. Me neither. <laughs> no. Okay, the thing is, though, is this does fit the collector's model, where I had a bunch of stuff, but the popularity died down, but then... Because, like, you have to have that, like, per- time period where it was worthless before something actually becomes collectible. And the comics alone are uh, way overpriced. The collectors that I saw online when I was doing my research were very enthusiastic about these and having the original guns and by the way what was funny was that like the guns were just guns like they weren't any they weren't like the special like star shooting guns or like Colorado kid did have a whip like all of the characters had different weapons but they were just like normal looking like kind of western weapons yeah they must have been reusing molds for it because I can think of two different other toy lines that has that like same thing like heads are different obviously but like right you know squat right. muscle and they hold a weapon and like the coloring is slightly off and there there are just a few things that just don't match up with all three of the properties which is super fascinating too yeah so if you could own any of the action figures shown which would it have been or which would it be now if you were going to go a hunting at this point i think I mean, I actually liked how terrible was the only one that looked like he was at the show. So I think I'd get terrible. 
Dude, one of his things that he like had, how he had that thing around his neck with the little, what is that even called? Is that his yoke. yoke? He like fucking wore the yoke around his neck all the time, which is bro, put that thing down. But that actually was detachable. Like you could take that off and put it back on like with the action figures, which oh. seems so unnecessary. I, I'm, I feel like that's added value more than anything, honestly. <laughs> there, there are collectors out there that don't have the original yoke and they're so angry oh, about right. it. Oh, no, 100%, 100%. Mike, what about you? Mm, I like Honestly, I don't really care about any of the main action figures, but I do love the figure for the Iron Horse. That was pretty dope. Oh, oh yeah. Dude, no, the Iron Horse, horse looks cool. It, they look so cool. Name. Yeah, that was my favorite one, too, because it was just like, dude, what? That's probably the coolest vehicle I've seen, other than maybe, like, some of the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, yeah. random-ass, like, vehicles that they had. I love those ones, but this one was really fucking cool, Honestly, too. Honestly, I probably would have taken one of my He-Man action figures and put it on the Iron Horse, because it looks like something out of the He-Man universe. See? Oh, it yes. does. That's what's up. So, while the property effectively ended with the show's second season in 1993, that doesn't mean they didn't pop up again in other places. And probably in the absolutely most predictable place, the boys of Moo Mesa also popped into the TMNT universe from time to time. In the early 2000s, they show up in Mirage Studios Volume 2 in issues 21 for a bull wrinkle in time where the Mesa boys are fighting Sheriff Terror Bull and end up following him through a portal to the Turtles New York City. <laughs> they show up again in the same volume in issue 32, The Eye of Agamu 2. I love it. I love issue it so much. Right? I, love, oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> issue 52, The Crystal at the Heart of the World, and issue 58, all Tomorrow's Yesterdays. They also show up in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fast Forward animated series in 2003, where they make a cameo appearance in an episode called Home Invasion. Now, apparently the writers didn't get the memo about the vibe of Mesa as they wrote the characters to be fighting the turtles instead of teaming up with them. That's weird. It's it was very well it's since been acknowledged that was a big flub up that they like that they should have had them teaming up, but it's definitely a pretty funny mix up if you ask me. Okay. I'm fine with it. Okay, I'm going to no prize it real quick. A lot of the villains did have masks on. That Maybe is that true. That's true, but yeah, no, they they definitely were fighting them instead of they could have been fighting anyone, but they had them fighting like the protagonists. It's like, guys, what? Uh, come on, what are you okay. doing? Okay, <laughs> okay, imagine Moo uh, Moo Montana fight, fighting the Foot Clan. Come on, cowboys, ninjas, you got Wait, it right wouldn't there. Wouldn't that be great? That was yeah, definite missed opportunity in my opinion. I didn't actually watch that crossover. I just heard a lot of opinions, and then I also heard the kind of blowback and the people who had worked on it afterwards being like, "Yeah, maybe that was a missed missed step there, missed opportunity." But speaking of crossovers, if you could see Mumesa doing a crossover with any comic character or property, what would it be? Uh, I've got a couple of ideas. I would do it with either Jonah Hex or Death's Head because both of those dudes get around the timeline and the multiverses and both of them would also just fucking roll with it. They'd be like, sure, whatever. Talking cows with guns. Fine. And also, 
they would i think there'd be some really funny bits where like both of those guys would straight up like murder some of the mumesa villains and then the cowboys would be like what did you do (laughs) wait your gun doesn't shoot a weird projectile that doesn't kill anyone what it just does a pew i'm so confused yeah and meanwhile jonah hex and Deathset are like what (laughs) like you put your enemies down do it I could even imagine Joda Hex just like starting to like try to get a stake out of one of them and Copenhagen oh, totally. like hundred no. percent. No. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I think it'd be fun if it did a crossover for um the Exiles series. Like first off, I want another Exiles comic. But in the Exiles, you have your Exiles team. They get transported into Mumesa time. Yeah, but I could imagine that being pretty fun. That nice. or you could just have the good old classic. Could just have Batman show up with them. Yes. Oh, what if whatever they're doing, the whatever he's doing, the time travel thing after the final crisis, mm. he when he was a cowboy, when it was cowboy Batman, it, he was actually in Mumesa. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, Jessica, you're up. I'm so excited to hear this after you've done all the research for this episode. I want to see classic. 90s animated series X-Men. Oh. And Mumesa. That's what I want. I'd be down with that. Classic fucking X-Men. Because I like your train of thought of being with the X-Men, like mutant versus mutant, because that would be such a fucking funny conversation where they're like, the X-Men show up, it's what are you? And it's we're mutants. And they're like, we're mutants. Like <laughs> we were mutants before it was cool. And can you imagine Storm like fucking throwing tumbleweeds and shit? And I don't know if what if Magneto showed up, but he like had to team up with the like classic X-Men because they were in this weird fucking cow town and he's like flicking the stars back or something. I don't know. Like they don't have to fight the cows, but I feel like that's a natural fight up. If we're going to make them. <laughs> Do you think that Moo Montana and what could walk through the Kokoa gates? Are they sufficiently mutant? Oh my god, that would be amazing to find out. I want to know now. I bet you they are, though. I bet you that, the, come on, that has to pass. That has yeah. to pass. <laughs> now I just want, now I just want, like, the House of 92 treatments of, but for just Krakoa, but for Moo Mesa. Oh my god, can you imagine if if Moo Mesa had gotten the same kind of energy and treatment throughout its career as X-Men did and how fucking weird that would have gotten? Because I'm just remembering the 90s like swimsuit editions as well. And I'm just like, that could have gotten, that could have gone so the fuck off the rails. So I, the fuck off the rails. I think we should bring back the Marvel swimsuit issues. I think we should. Personally. <clears throat> I want them to so badly just because i was reading through them and i was just like yeah this is weird and hokey why don't they do it now they're so like, gay they're so gay i like, know I mean, i'm they not saying so... that as an insult like they're just so homoerotic and i'm here for it no like one of the most one of the most sexually charged pictures i've ever seen was of namor in one of those in, in one of the issues oh like I believe that. he somehow seemed more naked while wearing more and wanted to have do bad things in a spicy way in that one picture. Like, it's in my mind That's forever. Fucking Namor, I swear to God. <laughs> I just, we're never going to get away Namor. from that dude. Oh, God. You can, I love Namor. You can keep him. 
Oh uh, my, you could have him. Like we I talk about, Namor. we, we have a very open dislike for Namor on this podcast. Oh, I love so. Namor. I'm I, like, I took up his offer when he was just like, I need an air breather to be my toy. And, and I was just like, yeah, cool. I'm here. Yay. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That wraps up our discussion on Moo Mesa in all its bovine glory. Do either of you have any final thoughts? I think it should have came out a few years later. I think it honestly would have captured a lot more. It was probably a little too close to the original TMT cartoon for people to take it seriously. If it, let's say, came out in 95 or 96 or so, I feel like we would have, I think we would have actually had a hit on it like you had to change the tone a little bit more but like it needed a little bit more time to breathe before i think it came out it's funny because my note is literally a show that was out of its time so i'm right in sync with you there like i think this is something that if you did a new adaptation of it today it could it could really it could legit slap and i think you'd have to do some tweaking like you'd probably have to add in humans and then up the horror sci-fi fantasy elements to really kind of lean into that weird west genre but i think it could be really good it's one of those things where i'm like i don't know netflix make a new original animated show or do a live action one with like really cool prosthetics but it's probably not going to happen seeing as how netflix is currently hemorrhaging money and staff so probably not right i don't know like Jessica, because you're the one who did all the research for this one. So I'm curious, like, what are your final <laughs> thoughts on all this? I I think it's a it's one of those little gems of just chaotic 90s energy, just truly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I bring such 90s chaotic energy to the field sometimes that I'm just like, I relate so hard to this. Like, you I literally like do. You absolutely I, do. I was out and about because I just do this. I was wearing a 90s windsuit to the store the other day. Somebody still asked me if I worked at that store. I don't ask me why. I don't know. I was wearing purple pants. I'm not entirely sure. And like windbreaker tassels on like my Sedona, Arizona 1990s wind jacket. I'm not entirely sure why they thought I worked there, but apparently that's the uniform for Walmart these days. So. <laughs> like this definitely has the feel of a little bit later cartoons as i said before it was right after it cartoons only were for action figures right before like cartoons respected kids in any way so yeah. give it a little more time like we would have i think we would have had something that like everyone's like, oh yeah and that would have a, occasional reboots and whatnot yeah I feel like you just make it, you take out a little bit of the puns, like not all of them, take out a little bit of the puns, make it a little bit darker in areas. And then like you already have, I think you have like a hit show. I'm going to, no, I'm going to disagree with you in the sense that I say ramp up every pun. Just (laughs) give no fucks, just pun it up. But that's just me. Yeah. (laughs) You also have to hire for artists as, as well for the animators, obviously. Because right. the way that they did the fem cows were horrifying. I know you can do better nowadays. Yeah, that was absolutely terrifying. I agree with you. It was terrible. <laughs> God damn it, Jessica. <laughs> Let's moosey over to our brain wrinkles. <laughs> 
So it's now time for Brain Wrinkles, which is the one thing comics or comics adjacent that we just can't seem to get out of our heads lately. Mike, why don't you start us off this time? Yeah, sure. I have been thinking about the Weird West genre and how criminally it is underused in general. And this is obviously because of everything that we've been consuming for the last few days. But there's some really great comics and shows and games over the years that have utilized that setting, but they've never really been runaway hits like Briscoe County Jr., still one of my favorite TV shows. Jonah Hex and Red Wolf are two of my favorite comic book characters. I reread The Sixth Gun by Cullen Bunn every couple of years. It's great. If you haven't read East of West, it is fantastic. Oh, East of West is so good. Yeah. Deadlands is still, I think, one of the coolest tabletop RPGs I've ever played, and I'm still mad that Xbox never delivered on the TV show they promised us when they launched the last generation Mm. of consoles. And there's a new game called Weird West that recently dropped for PC and consoles, and it's supposed to be excellent, so I'm going to have to check it out. I didn't even realize how much I love the genre until I started consuming media for this episode, and now I'm mad that it doesn't get more love from other people. That's it. I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Who wants to go next? All right, why don't you go ahead? I've been talking for quite a bit this episode. My whole thing right now lately is because I've been reading a lot of alternate universe stuff for a Marvel alternate uh, universe stuff. And the thing that's been stuck in my head for a little bit is I just read through all of the noir titles for Marvel. Which, by the way, best one is probably Daredevil Noir. You should definitely read it. But my problem that I had with that series is X-Men Noir. Okay. The, like, one of the only ones that you would say they definitely need powers. They don't have powers in it. They're just like, Wolverine's a knife fighter, and Cyclops is this is a sniper, and all that. I'm just like, why don't they have power? Like, Spider-Man has powers. He has Spidey Sense. He could shoot organic webs. Daredevil has his radar sense. But, uh, like, Luke Cage is somewhat invincible, although that's put into perspective as maybe he's not. Maybe he's just real lucky. But, like, X-Men Noir, like, they make it all about this, like, psychopathic thing, which I know is supposed to be, like, Xavier trained these psychopaths to use their psychopathic tendencies the best. And I know what it was supposed to play off of. It was supposed to play off of eugenics at the time, where they're just like, these people are genetically predisposed to be like this, and blah, blah, blah. And, I like, I don't understand X-Men Noir. Why? Give them powers. Who was writing it? That sounds like a Mark Millar story, to be honest. It wasn't Mark Millar, I know that. But I don't know why it bothers me so much because the other ones feel like they are just set in the Marvel Universe, but in the past. But X-Men Noir isn't. It's a different thing completely. <laughs> if you could have if you could have the Electro or something, like in the 20s, technically that one was set in the 30s. But if you could have Electro and stuff like that, you could give them powers. Also, they, uh, the thing I did is that they made Angel the uh, Holloway, who was actually the Golden Age Angel. And it, I do like that. That was fun. But everything else was, just, it was bothering me. I've been thinking about it for so long. I think I ranted about it a little bit on Twitter, too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That's how it goes sometimes, right? 
Yeah. What about you, Jessica? It is. It's Pride Month, so I've just been thinking about gay shit. That's, I guess that's normal to me anyway, but yeah, no, I've just, I've been trying to take in as much just gay media as possible. So I've been, I've been looking for, for what we're posting on social media right now. I'm trying to find some super gay covers and just trying to ingest as much LBT-esque or adjacent properties as possible like anything that feels a little queer like i'm gonna pick up this month yeah. so i've been thinking about that just if generally you, if yeah. you want something that's like probably one of the most sapphic books i've ever read but Please, also yeah, has spe- space necromancers read gideon the ninth oh my nice. god i'm re- going to be reading them this month because i just realized i miss i miss my my muscly gay himbo gideon and the useless theater goth queer haro because, oh man, I miss it so much. Thanks for the suggestion, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. The third book is going to be coming out, Nona the Ninth. It's going to be coming out the uh, September. It's one of my favorite books. And it came out recently. So definitely read it. It's so sapphic. It's, if sapphic was like a place, this would definitely be like in the center of it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our episode today. Thank you so much for joining us, Art. We appreciate you so much. And until our next episode, which will be hosted by Mike, I believe. I guess. I don't know what you're doing yet. Do you know what you're doing yet? I don't know. We're recording all of our episodes out of order, so I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a mystery to us at this point, which is, that's pretty fun. That's fun, right? <laughs> it's a surprise. Ha ha. We're super organized. We're adults on this podcast. God damn it. <laughs> so anyway, until our next episode, we'll see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Fraser, Mike Thompson, and Art from Alphabet Flight. Written by Jessica Fraser and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find online at lookmomdraws.com. If you want to learn more about my stuff, you can always go to at Alphabet Flight on Twitter and Instagram. The podcast is on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of, and there is a lot of it. So just listen. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us a question, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is TencentTakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Vansau, V-A-N-S-A-U. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there and support your local comic shop.